again and welcome back to the Leading Safely podcast with your host, G. We've made it to episode two, so thanks for listening. Before we get stuck into the deep oceans below of a health and safety culture, I would like to share a personal story with you. First, a disclaimer. The scenario you are about to hear is about a fatality, and I understand this may be a sensitive issue to listen to for some listeners, so please feel free to fast forward if need be. On a Monday morning in 2013, at approximately 5.15am, an 18-year-old was travelling along a busy central Queensland highway from her home in one of the small local towns, on her way to commence her shift at one of the mine sites. Up ahead of her, a delivery truck was turning onto the access road to the mine, the same one she was about to head down. As she approached the turn-off, she reached down to turn the music off, taking her eyes off the road for just a moment, resulting in her vehicle colliding with the rear of the delivery truck at a speed of 100 kilometres per hour. She was killed on impact. The incident occurred on the entry to the access road for two local mine sites just before shift changeover occurred. Scores of workers drove past the incident on their way into site. As a safety advisor for one of those mine sites, I was asked to put together a short presentation on what had occurred and provide our workers with details of the EAP program. The majority of mine site workers lived in the same town as the victim. Some of them knew her, some even went to school with her. So it was critical that we offered assistance to anyone who might be impacted. I drafted a presentation and was ready to send it to the mining teams when the mining manager, a huge burly man, came into our donger and boomed at me. What's this presentation rubbish about? All of a sudden, I was a mouse. The incident that happened out of the front of the access road, I squeaked. He took a breath and then boomed. Yeah, well, it's my pre-shift meeting. That's not about safety and we don't have time to talk about it, so get rid of it. What you heard is a real-life scenario I experienced many years ago, a lot earlier in my career. And I guess for me, it was my first real taste of the world of safety versus production but also that first taste into who and what shapes a positive health and safety culture. This episode, as promised, is our first deep dive into health and safety culture. We will look at what those terms actually mean, why they are important, and how each of you can make a positive influence on the health and safety culture of your organisation. To begin with, I'm going to reiterate something I said back in episode one. Everything I'm going to say to you throughout this podcast needs to come from the top layers of the organization down. Now, don't get me wrong. You can influence change if you create a ripple within the lake of your frontline employees. However, that is all it will ever be, just a ripple. To create a wave of change that makes a difference, it needs to come from the highest levels down. So in saying that, if you are a top level senior executive, a manager or someone who is a leader of leaders and you're listening to this podcast, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to this and hope that you find something within these episodes that resonates with you. For those of you who are listening, facing the challenge of working with management who do not totally understand their legislative responsibilities and duties, but also the enormity of their impact on health and safety culture, There are a few things you can recommend, and at the end of the day, these are just recommendations. I would highly recommend completion of a health and safety course, either the Work Health and Safety Supervisors course or the full Certificate 4 in Work Health and Safety. Both of these are nationally accredited courses which can be completed face-to-face via an RTO over a short period of time. 
these courses will provide an excellent in-depth overview of both legislative and practical requirements and are relevant to any industry. This will assist management in being able to relate to safety matters that might be raised by health and safety representatives or their own internal health and safety professionals. Once management has that basic understanding, to take things to the next level, I would recommend the creation of some sort of behavioural program. This could be done utilising the skills of internal personnel or, alternatively, an external firm. You will want a program that is tailored to the needs of your organisation and will impact those hearts and minds. Remember, for anything to work though, this is not a set and forget remedy. Just because your management team has attended a course or helped create a behavioural safety program for your site does not mean that they are now magically on board with safety. There needs to be a monitoring and maintenance phase built in that ensures the tools implemented from the learning remains implemented, that visible in-field leadership continues, that peer-to-peer -peer observations continue, that those morale-boosting activities do not just stop after the first safety sausage sizzle has been held. This is vital to ensure that newfound understanding remains top of mind and that the subsequent activities and initiatives remain effective. So what is health and safety culture? The health and safety culture of an organisation is a reflection of the values, attitudes, perceptions, competencies and behaviours of the people that work there. It reflects the organisation's commitment to and prioritisation of health and safety, as well as the effectiveness of the organisation's safety management system. Consider this scenario. I attended an interview with an operations manager for a drilling company in regional Western Australia. The role I was interviewing for was a HSC advisor and a large portion of the duties were to build their safety health management system to ensure compliance with legislation. This is what job advertisement had said. At the commencement of the interview, the operations manager advised me, and I'm going to quote here, however, I will refrain from using the actual language that was used. The only reason we are hiring you safety C's is so that myself and the directors of the business do not go to jail. Let's stop for a moment and think about that statement. The only reason the organisation was hiring a safety professional was because they believed it would prevent their duty holders from going to prison. My first question to you is, what do you think this said to me as a safety professional? Secondly, what kind of safety culture do you think was present at an organisation where a statement like this was being made during an interview. Now, whilst this most definitely was a red flag, in my everything is fixable with cupcakes brain, I thought I am up for a challenge. I lasted a week and I will share more about my time with this organisation throughout the podcast. For me, a health and safety culture has three components. First, there is an organisational component. This is all about the organisation's health and safety policy, procedures and systems. Secondly, psychological. This is all about the workers' perceptions, attitudes and values. And finally, behavioural. And this one looks at what workers do, their actions relating to health and safety. I also like to think that whilst this might be what research or studies say, the extra fun component is that health and safety culture can be defined by the actions that workers take when they think no one is watching. This will give you that great insight into do they truly believe in the message or are they just doing it for appearances sake? On the surface, 
that organisation that I interviewed for looked great. The directors were well known in town, winning major contracts and growing their business, and they appeared to be doing everything right. When you heard the directors winning jobs, they sprouted safety as if it was a religion they were fanatical about. However, scratch a little deeper and you would see there was so much that was non-compliant and that screamed of a terrible health and safety culture. For example, they didn't hire female drillers because according to their GM, females couldn't handle living in their provided accommodation that they called the dog kennels. Not one single employee had completed an induction because not only had no one created it, but they didn't see the need for it. The majority of their frontline employees were backpackers picked up from a local train station who could not read, write or speak English to a satisfactory and safe level. There was no policies, no procedures and definitely no work instructions to allow workers to remain safe whilst completing tasks of a high-risk nature. Management would remove critical guarding off drilling components because it slowed the work down. And yet, no one had died, the company still existed, employees still worked for them and life still went on for their duty holders without any ramifications. The safety culture at that drilling company was horrendous and I could go on for hours with what I saw and what really took its toll on me as a safety professional. However, just speaking about something, whilst it does bring awareness, does not on its own create change. Actions create change. So the real question is, how do we change that health and safety culture for the better? Working for a variety of organisations over the last 15 years, I've identified some key actions critical to building a positive health and safety culture, which I'm going to share with you now. I strongly believe as a safety leader, you or your organisations need to do these things. One, create accountability and well-defined responsibilities for your team. Two, outline policies, goals and plans for the future. This ensures the continued growth and success of that safety culture. Three, Assess your workplace's current attitude towards health and safety. Pinpoint any weaker areas and safety issues and evaluate ways that that could be rectified. Four, put a strong incident and hazard reporting system in place. At the same time, work towards building workers' trust in that system. Your workers need to know that their issues will be listened to and dealt with and their ideas will be heard. They should not fear losing their jobs or some sort of HR process occurring because they did raise an issue or report a hazard. Five, keep your team motivated and recognize and reward success and strengths. Six, put health and safety representatives or a health and safety committee in place. Then schedule in regular meetings to discuss potential safety improvements. And seven, improve the health and safety knowledge of all of your workers. Include safety in pre-shift meetings or toolbox talks or any meeting that occurs, even if it's just a safety moment. In the next episode, I will go into those steps in a lot more detail. So don't stress, there is of course a lot more to come. Once you have started down that road of cultural change though, you need to understand that it's not all going to be holding hands and singing Kumbaya. In fact, you'll most definitely be having what I like to call robust conversations. You will deal with people who will advocate for change and those who are dead set against it. When it comes to change, Stephen Covey puts people into three categories. 
the models, the not yets, and the nevers. The models are people who engage quickly and will energetically embrace and model new behaviours that create results. If you implement a new PPE standard, these people are all over it and are willing to adhere to it. They're flexible and most open to new ideas, so will suck things up like a sponge. The not yets are people who are not yet fully engaged. They're normally a much larger group and may appear to be in full support of the change, but in reality have only truly embraced a minimal amount. These people can be shaped and moulded and most definitely can be influenced. And finally, we have the nevers, those who will never adopt changes to the way they've been comfortable in performing. These are people you can try and win over with your passion and your drive and your enthusiasm. However, ultimately, cannot be influenced and may need to be managed from a HR standpoint accordingly. The greater your percentage of the not yets and nevers in your workforce, the more inconsistent your results will be when it comes to creating that positive health and safety culture. I found the management team of the drilling organisation I worked for fell mostly into the nevers. Their minds were set and they did not see, nor could ever see, why a change needed to occur. That is the bare bones of why I chose to leave that organisation. You too may need to make some key critical decisions when it comes to health and safety and the culture of your organisation. But hopefully what we've spoken about today may assist you in making that decision less of a stressful one. Join me next time as we take an even closer look at those seven steps to building a positive health and safety culture. Until then, thanks for your time. Stay safe.